welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 18 for October 13th, 2010. Donovan! Yes, sir. So we're about to finish up uh, Star Trek Early Voyages. We only have four issues left. Oh. And then we'll have completed a whole series. Cool. (laughs) And a good series. I really like this one. (coughs) Me too. I hope I like all the other ones equally as much. Don't count on it. I'm sure. This is one of the better ones. I'm sure we'll find some other really good ones too, but... I wouldn't count on them all being this good. They are all going to be this good. I think if we would have given the gold key comics just a little bit longer... Oh, God. They would have really turned around for you. I don't think so. (laughs) I just just don't think they had the uh, writing up to the level of uh, Dan Abnett and uh, Ian... Edgington. True. It's all about the the continuing story. If you if your mandate is that you can only tell a story within these twenty pages and these twenty pages can't have any bearing on the next twenty pages, then then your storytelling really is limited. So I, I really like these stories that kind of continue each other, and you have longer story arcs. Um, yes. Yep. And uh, that's that's how you tell a good story. I agree. So, I agree. So I think all all the comic book series, for the most part, with the exception of maybe the Gold Key, do have a little bit of that. Some more than others, but I think that's why we didn't really care for the Gold Key as much, is because I think they were told you have to tell the story in these twenty pages. Nothing nothing can happen before these twenty pages that have any bearing on the story, and don't expect anything from the story to have any bearing in the future. Yeah, and number two. The people we hire to do the art and do the writing can't know anything about science or Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, they had a little bit of that, didn't they? I, I did do some research on that. And it seems like they farmed out all the the artwork for those uh, to, I think they said the Philippines or somewhere. Wow. But bas- that's why everything looks kind of generic because they were just like, I guess, given headshots and said, you know, make it. And uh, that's why we don't get any credits on any of those. But. That's a whole other series for a whole other time. So exactly. let's uh, focus on issue number 14 and 15 of Star Trek The Early Voyages, released by Marvel in March and April of 1998. Indeed. And I'll cover Futures, which is issue number 14, uh, which, of course, was in March. And the creative team is very familiar. Writers Ian Edgington and Dan Abnett, penciler Patrick Zercher. Inker, Steve Mancus, colorist Marie Javins, lettering Janice Chang, and The Human Touch. Touch. Bobby Chase, editor, editor editor-in-chief Bob Haras. Yes. Okay, so here's a synopsis. The cover shows a middle-aged pike in Wrath of Khan uniform punching Kirk, where uh, Kirk, who is wearing civvies off of his feet... With the action-packed caption, Pike versus Kirk, 
opening page is a full-page shot of the Enterprise A, A, next to the much smaller and damaged Bounty. Pike's log catches the reader up on the end of the last issue, where the Enterprise drove off a Klingon vessel attacking the Bounty. He goes on to say that they are beaming over the Bounty crew, and Pike personally is looking forward to bestowing a few choice words upon the Bounty's captain. Joe, on the bridge, Joe tells Sulu how Kirk was Pike's yeoman after Colt's disappearance. They never agreed, and Kirk eventually left Starfleet and became a commercial merchant. Pike stands before Pike on the bridge, where Pike lays into Kirk and, a- angrily. Kirk sarcastically jabs back at Pike and dares Pike to hit him in, in reaction to the Pike's tough guy handling of the conversation. Pike obliges Kirk by punching Kirk off of his feet. An older Spock, referred to as number one by Pike, enters the bridge and brings Colt with him. Everyone is shocked, and Joe freaks. Mia's off to sickbay to have Dr. Carlotti check her over. Kirk and Pike go to the ready room for a full debrief. Spock and Savick look into the sickbay from an adjoining room where they come to the convenient conclusion that Colt cannot stay due to her potential damage to the timeline. Colt becomes Miss Poutyface. In Pike's ready room, he recaps Mia's trip into the future for the assembled Bounty and Enterprise bridge crews. Spock and Savick say Colt's temporal integrity is decaying, and if she can't get back to her own time, she will die. Joe freaks out again. Pike says they are going with Kirk's plan to return Mia to her own time. They acknowledge how their own timeline may change, but ultimately Pike says Mia being returned will result in the correct timeline being restored no matter what the cost. No matter what the costs are indeed, Captain Pike. They set course for Algol, which is crawling with Klingons. While on on course for Algol, Ohura informs Pike that Starfleet Command is hailing them. If they do not leave Klingon space, they will dispatch a ship to investigate. In reply, they send a garbled message and continue on. Cut to the Excelsior, where Captain Robbins, formerly number one, is drinking coffee. Nana reports that they have orders to intercept the rogue Enterprise and get them out of Klingon space. Robin gives the order to set an intercept course and tells Chekhov, Mr. Chekhov that is, to ready weapons. Mia and Joe have a thoroughly boring scene together where Joe is, as usual, way too whiny. Scotty and Grace also have uh, another throwaway scene uh, in engineering. Both are filler, despite uh, me liking to see Scotty a little more. The ship is hit by Klingon fire. On the bridge, Pike and Sulu mount a photon torpedo counterattack that appears to shatter the front of one of the two attacking Klingon ships. Unfortunately, Chang shows up in a much larger heavy cruiser, pitting three Klingon ships against the lone Enterprise. Chang makes his intentions clear when he tells Pike there is always time to die. <laughs> so, of course, this is the third uh, issue of the uh, four-part series. Okay, so Donovan, how'd you like that one? Let's get ready to rumble! <laughs> 
Kirk versus Pike. Oh, indeed. And it's a, it's a two-fisted contest, I'll tell you. Especially yeah. when you look at the uh, cover, huh? Pretty cool well, cover. And he's only, he, he, he gets one punch, that's it. But it, what a punch that is. It's a huge punch. You can tell whose issue this is. This is not a Kirk story. This is a Pike story. <laughs> Pike takes him out in one punch. Yeah. Well, it's his comic. However, um, you know, because Kirk does a lot of this. Yeah, but I think it's it's still a Kirk. It's still a Pike story. Yeah. Although I think Pike is showing his age a little bit in this one. Not only does he have the graying temples, but uh, he has a little bit of problem with dates. Did you uh, you remember that one? No. Where, where do you have problems with dates? Uh, he says that. Uh, hold on one second. Pulled up the wrong notes. Okay, he says that <laughs> um, that the uh, the. Hold on one second. Basically, he says that it is the year twenty two eighty five, um, and or we have to assume that it's probably twenty two eighty five because right. it's around the time of Star Trek two. Right. Which, but then Pike says that he's been captain for thirty two years. Oh. Um. Well, so math no, doesn't work out. It doesn't work out because he actually, I think he actually says what day it is. Hold on one second. Let me pull it up real quick. Uh, he says there on page. Uh, these aren't page numbered, of course. But when he's okay. giving his little briefing to the crews, the two crews that are coming together, right. he says in 2263, after the Battle of Theta Caleb against the Kachun, Kakun, uh, well, 20, 2263. <laughs> yeah. So 2263 would be like... Um, 2263. Hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. it doesn't add up because, you know, if... Pike's been captain for 20, 32 years, and this really is around Star Trek Three timeline. Right. Then, you know that that would not quite work out. It should okay. be twenty two fifty. Hold on one second. I did the math earlier. It should be twenty two fifty three, and not twenty two sixty three. So he's basically just off by ten years. Oh, is that all? Yeah. So, like I said, I think it's just due to his uh, faulty his age. aging memory. <laughs> I mean, he's still in, he's still in fantastic cha- shape. He doesn't have any kind of a uh, tummy, but uh, yeah. And he's been captain for thirty-two years. Exactly. Talk about a guy without a promotion. I guess he took that April comment in episode or issue number one to heart when April told him to never, uh, never get promoted. Exactly. And he obviously uh, did not make the mistakes that Kirk did when he allowed himself to be promoted to admiral. Well, we don't know. Maybe he did get promoted to Admiral, and then when V'ger showed up in uh, this timeline, <laughs> he, he let himself get bumped back down. Maybe, maybe <laughs> but he could have done this. He he could have done the Kirk thing. We don't. He could have. We don't know. We just don't know, Dad. We just know that when Colt goes into the future, somehow it screws up everybody's life. So yeah, Kirk, you ain't kidding. Kirk never becomes captain of the Enterprise. Scotty, for some reason, never gets promoted or never even joins Starfleet and works on a ship, even though, as far as the timeline goes, Scotty should already be graduated from Starfleet Academy before Colt disappears. So, exactly. Don't quite understand how her leaving affected Affected. the past. Exactly. Exactly. But hey, it's, it's a story. Just go with it. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole thing. 
you're uh it's very cool that you're pointing out all these obviously obvious and blatant problems, but <laughs> it is a little nitpicky. It is a little nitpicky and I and I acknowledge that. <laughs> Plus, you know, nowhere in the shows do they actually nail down the, the timeline, so I'm you know, you're always having to do it through conjecture and stuff like that as to when the each series started. Right. So it's all it's all make believe, dude. Exactly. Just go with it. And speaking of time, this whole concept they have of Colt being uh, having some kind of temporal rejection or something because she's not in the right time pe- period or time stream or whatever. I, I don't buy it all, but w- if that was true, then would wouldn't that be a problem for Doctor Who? <laughs> yeah, Doctor Who be, definitely. He'd just be yeah. having all kinds of problems. I mean, so many characters in Star Trek have jumped through time and ended exactly. up staying. And yeah, nothing happened to them. Right. I didn't see I, Yar start disappearing when. Uh, she goes back into Enterprise C timeline. Right. Or when they went back to save the whales. Or when they the took... Movie. Oh, actually, you know what? They took the Doctor from uh, that episode to the future. So that oh, the is almost right. the exact same thing as what happens to Colt. Exactly. Only without the keepsake doing it. Yeah, exactly. so I guess if, if you do a slingshot around the sun, that time travel is more reliable than the keepsake. Exactly. It, that must be it. That's it. I think you've hit on the difference. Yep. There he goes. <laughs> so, what'd you think about seeing the uh, Excelsior there? Always good to see the Excelsior. Come on. Yeah. Well, too bad Sulu's not in charge of it. And that is appropriate, isn't it? Although there were captains of the Elk Excelsior before Sulu. Yeah. Like, uh, what was his name? Lawrence Stiles, who walked around with that little cane. Exactly. With the yeah, what was that a crop? What I forgot what that's called, but yeah, why would he have it? Though? <laughs> I I don't know. I think he has some weird uh, tendencies that they never got into detail on. He likes to whip the people to get them to work faster. Exactly. Well, but, that isn't what I was thinking of exactly, but yes, yes. Oh, you were going for something else. I got you. Something a little sicker. <laughs> well, he was in bed when uh, when. They found out that the Enterprise was trying to escape. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> but yeah. other captains of the Excelsior before Sulu, uh, Captain or Admiral Kirk. So in the DC comics that uh, they came out with that were released in between Star Trek Three and Star Trek Four, they actually had Kirk uh, becoming captain of the Excelsior and, and had lots of adventures and things through there. Lots of adventures. Yeah. Cool. So uh, and they're not all bad. That's the one where they have this huge um, mirror universe crossover. So the mirror universe is invading uh, our universe. In it mean in in full frontal combat. Yeah, yeah. They actually uh, bring over the Enterprise, and and there's a uh, they're basically trying to take over our universe. So good we'll luck. Get, we'll get to it eventually. Good it's a good luck. One. Good. Well, something to look forward to. So I can look forward to that, and I could not look forward to the gold keys. Okay, I got it. <laughs> they're not all bad, Ken. They're not all bad. Oh. No, they're not all bad. Um, yeah. So Let's... the love story, what'd you think? Between what do you mean, Joe? Joe and Colt? Uh, oh, come on. It's it just, well, yeah, it, it's fine. It's great. It's just whiny Colt. 
or why well, not whiny Colt, whiny Joe. He's been pining away for her for thirty years. Can you imagine I... that? I can't. <laughs> you can. I can't. Oh, cannot. Yeah, I cannot. It. Yeah, you would think that he would have found somebody. I mean, he has that awesome mustache now. Exactly. He should be picking up the chicks, <laughs> especially the ones that are kind of like uh, cop groupies. <laughs> 80s cop groupies 80s cop groupies Awesome Awesome He yes. does look mighty good for his age I mean I know that he's supposed to be kind of young In the uh, the normal timeline right. But uh, You know he, he's looking really good In this one He looks like he hasn't aged a day He grew a mustache that was it And that was it <laughs> And again another person that doesn't seem to have been promoted well, I mean, he's pining after the woman that got away, so he's he has no ambition anymore. Oh, I guess so, because didn't he see himself in the keepsake with him in the captain's chair? Oh, that's true. So what happened to that future? Gone yeah. with the wind? Or I gone with the so. cult? I guess so. Yeah. So I did like, what I did like about this story is how it kind of mixed in, you know, the original series characters... Starfleet characters with the early voyages characters. Yeah. So you had you had Sulu and Ahura and Spock and Savick, but then you still had Running with Grace and Jose and Doctor Um Doctor what's her name? Carlotta. Carlotta. Carlotti. Carlotta. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that is good. It's kinda like um it's kind of like when you get the four Doctors together, bringing back another Doctor Who reference. You, you or, must you, you must know. be watching a lot of Doctor Who lately, and you're just really stuck. <laughs> I am a little stuck on that. But that actually, I haven't, yeah, yeah. I haven't watched it in that long. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool when the, uh, the different characters come together like that from the two universes. Right. So Chang making an appearance. Yeah. Um, and another quote, an eye for an eye, saying, uh, using the eye for an eye, uh, saying when he was talking to Pike. Yeah, so I was curious. Does that imply that Pike's responsible for his eye? I, that, I think that's completely what it's trying to say. Although, again, they don't come out and say it. And then what happened to his eye in the normal Star Trek universe? I don't know. Without Pike around to do that? Because wouldn't he have been irradiated by then? But who knows? That's true. And Kirk... Had never met Chang before Star Trek VI. Right. So, obviously, Chang was always meant to have an eye out, uh, despite uh, what might have caused it. It's his destiny. It's his, it is his destiny. I think you're right about that. <laughs> now, the artwork, I think I think some of the characters look spot on, but, but some of the other ones don't look as quite as good as they have uh, in previous issues. Like? Well, Chang looks really good, and you know we've already talked about Jose and Pike, but uh, the one that I think looks really off is uh, Scotty. Oh yeah, well right. I mean for for he looks I mean really he does, heavy. yeah he doesn't look Star Trek three version of Scotty. I mean right. yeah Scotty was a little plumper in Star Trek three than he was in the earlier movies, but he wasn't this big. Yeah, he really looks big. And those jumpsuits just doesn't look good. Right. Yeah, they're not very flattering. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't help that he's with running with Grace, who's like, you know, six and a half. Lean man, tall, lean tall, guy. Yeah. <laughs> and you have Scotty, who's a little rotund. Right. 
Anyways, but and then also I uh Savick I didn't think quite looked like Christy Alley or no. Robin Curtis. No. Yeah, and uh and also just to say Colt. I mean I never thought they drew Colt exactly like the original actress. But there's one particular panel where she does look a lot like the original actress. Where is that panel? I'm just kind of scanning through if I can find it. Is that the one she's talking to Dr. Kalati? Um, actually, I think when she's first being introduced to the crew and saying, uh, here's Colt. You thought she was dead, but no, she's back. Better than ever. For some reason, I'm thinking she looks a little bit more like that, like that original actress in that in that shot. Oh, where, where Spock's kind of doing the big reveal. Ta-da! Exactly. The big reveal. <laughs> he actually have his, his, has his hand out. Exactly. He looks like Vanna White uh, pointing at a dishwasher or something. Did Vanna White is. do that? I thought she just flipped the letters over. Yeah, well, whatever. You, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know. I see it. I, I guess she does look like her. This series, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, so um, this is uh, Patrick Zercher. He's He's still doing it. Yeah, yeah, he's good. And uh, not to spoil anything, but uh, we won't be seeing too much of him after yeah. this issue. Unfortunately. Yep. Although so. I must say the Kirk pants really look dumb. With the potato sack with just a string around it? Well, with a, with a full-size belt around it, but the top kind of like, like – like coming out and kind of like it actually looks like uh, corn cornstalk pants or something. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like crepe paper. It's something that you would want to see Jethro Bodine wearing or something <laughs> with a big old string tie. Yeah, holding it up, some rope. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. But other than the Kirk's pants, excellent drawings. I agree. I agree. So well, I don't. I don't, I don't really have anything. I really like the way the Klingons look. I think the ships looked awesome. Yeah, Excelsior and, looks really good. Yeah, and those birds of prey are are very nice. <laughs> you got yourself some nice birds there, Chang. <laughs> well, Klingons sometimes don't get. I mean, they're supposedly this big formidable enemy, but they don't always get portrayed that way since they're taken out usually so easily. Exactly, but now they got three ships. Not yep. good. Not. I mean, the, the Enterprise is always uh, usually alone and outnumbered, but um, three-on-one is not good. Nope, I don't know how they're going to get out of it. I don't know either. Let's find I out. Think, I think we should get to the next issue. Sounds good. Issue number 15. So this came out uh, in April of 98, and it is titled Now and Then. And it has a writing staff of uh, writers is... Dan Abnett and Ian Edkinton, Pencilers Patrick Zercher, which will be his last uh, Star Trek Early Voyages, uh, Inker Steve Moncruz, Colorist Marie Javins, Letterers Janice Chang and Human Touch, not Human Torch, which is what I originally wrote in my notes, uh, Editor Bobby Chase, and Editor-in-Chief Bob Harris, or Haraz. All right, so the synopsis. All right, so we start off in the middle of an intense battle between the Enterprise A and three Klingon birds of prey. The Enterprise is struck with a massive hit, and Sulu, who is at a station, is killed by an exploding control panel. Uh, Shields down, the Enterprise is a sitting duck to Chang's next attack. 
Just then, the Excelsior, captained by Robbins, arrives and destroys a few of the ships and cripples Chang's flagship. He turns tail and runs, but vows, this is not over. Captain Robin calms the Enterprise and is brought up to speed with their mission to return Colt to the past. Instead of trying to stop Pike, she feigns that the message is being broken up and Enterprise is allowed to leave. Uh, Scotty is allowed to help Chief Grace uh, during the course of this mission. Kirk and Pike have a heart-to-heart stating that the needs of the one sometimes outweigh the needs of the many. Heard that somewhere. I don't remember where. Uh, Kirk gives us a rehash of his line to Picard in Generations that uh, I trust that the situation's grim and the odds are against us, which I thought was kind of cool. Pike and Kirk are able to put aside their differences and start working together. While planning the landing mission, Kirk is able to talk Pike out of going himself, stating that a captain's place is on the bridge. Uh, Pike agrees with him, and Kirk is allowed uh, to take his crew and command the away mission. Chang reappears and is ready to start the battle again now that the Enterprise is alone and without backup. Colt is preparing to leave and has another heart-to-heart with Tyler, ending in a very passionate kiss. Colt, Kirk, and the rest of the crew arrive on the planet to find the Well of Tomorrow, which is like a black pool of liquid. Uh, they're there. When they're there, the, the liquid starts speaking to Colt, stating that it needs to resolve the time discontinuity. Just as Colt jumps into the boiling black liquid of the well, uh, Zota, which is Scotty's wife, exclaims, We have company! Uh, dozens of, star- of Klingon warships arrive um, and start attacking the Enterprise. Pike tells Tyler that he uh, cannot think of a single order except take out as many of them as we can, or take as many of them with us as we can. So he's very, uh, I guess he's pretty much resigned to the fact that they're not going to make it. Uh, Meanwhile, on the surface, Kirk and the crew are being attacked by waves of Klingon warriors. Kirk tells Scotty that uh, it's been an interesting 20 years. Uh, Just then, their Endorian crew woman, who I forgot her name, is killed, uh, followed very shortly by Scotty himself, uh, while Kirk and Zorta watch in horror. On the battered Enterprise, Savick is dead, and Pike orders the crew to the escape pods, and he initiates the self-destruct. Colt is seen falling through the well of tomorrow. She sees possible futures and pasts. She sees Picard and the Enterprise D crew. She sees the Enterprise E. She sees mirror versions of Spock. She sees Deep Space Nine, uh, some post-first contact type Borg, uh, an old school medical frigate, and some little squiggly lines that I like to think maybe are Archer's Enterprise. That's just me reading into it a little bit, maybe. Uh, She then sees a light at the end of this tunnel and falls through it into uh, young Tyler's arms, uh, whom she embraces embraces very passionately. Uh, In Pike's closing comments, uh, he confirms that she was missing because he states that she's she's returned, though he doesn't say how long she was gone. Uh, He states that her tale will be classified and the planet will be studied. All the other keepsakes do not show any signs of the temporal energy. And the last frame shows a sad-looking Pike looking down into the ball, and he sees a, the older, injured version of himself that we know of from the Menagerie. Um, and there's a little note for the next issue, A Secret Mission and Return of an Old Foe. And that's it. There you go. <laughs> so a pretty good conclusion, don't you think? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Wrapping things up, kind of like some next-gen 
episodes where the Enterprise has to, especially especially yesterday's Enterprise, where um, where the crew ends up sacrificing themselves in the ship in the effort of getting things back to where it should be. Right. Uh, yeah, I thought everybody was a little too quick to just throw away their lives on the hope that her going back in time would somehow make them come back to life in another timeline or something. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of chances being taken with that. Right, I mean, and... they they said that she was going to disappear if she didn't get back, but they never said that this timeline shouldn't exist or there was gonna the whole universe was going to disappear if she didn't go back. So I was never quite clear on why everybody wanted to get her back so bad. Yeah, well, I mean, definitely it was, um, as they said in, in the previous issue, a few of them thought it was the right thing to do, and Pike thought it was the right thing to do, even though um, Savick didn't necessarily agree it was the right thing to do. She went along with it because Spock said it was the right thing to do and had... BS explanations and anyway, enough right. of the enough of the lead people, the leaders are saying that's what we should do. Everybody went with it, right? But I mean, you brought up yesterday's Enterprise. I mean, in that one, you had Guinan telling Picard that this history was not what it was supposed to be. True. Yep. And in that episode, which wasn't that convenient. I mean, that was a great episode. Love the episode. It just okay. Now, whatever, I forgot. Guinan. I forgot what somebody should it'd be handy <laughs> if somebody could really know this. Hey, let's say Guinan has that ability. Okay. Well, and Yar also said she just didn't feel like she was supposed to be there. Yeah. <laughs> but what was the other episode where the, there was that old bastion or whatever was stuck in like a time loop, and then that caused the Enterprise to be stuck in a time loop, and they kept blowing up, and then they would wake yeah, and up, Fra- and it would... Yeah, and Frazier kept on hitting the Enterprise? Yeah, Frazier. I think his name was Captain Morgan in that show. Uh, well, that might be, but he'll always but, yeah. be Frazier to me. Yeah, Kelsey. I, I don't care if he's got a beard or not. But well, that episode, didn't they end up trusting Data's message of three or whatever? And did they, did they destroy themselves to keep themselves from being destroyed in the future? Or was he able to somehow repulse the, the, the ship off of them so they, they never actually blew up? I can't remember. Well, they finally did the right thing. I mean, because they tried like 15 different things to try to avoid uh, colliding. Right, and it and ended they, up being like something that that Riker I said. That... I, don't re- I don't remember what they finally did, but yeah, there's like three or four people had an idea of what to do. And then right. it's like they kind of sort of tried every one of them, and finally one of them worked. So long story short, it had absolutely nothing to do with what uh, I was trying to make a point at. So No. But that's okay. Tangents are fine. <laughs> yeah, there was also that other one where parallel universes all came together and all these enterprises were popping up. Right. It was the one where Worf was popping into and out of all those other dimensions. Um, he was like the one constant and then ended up with all those enterprises showing up, one of them being like Captain by Riker because they were able, never able to save Picard during they, they uh, Best of Both Worlds. Yeah. They turned and ran instead of fought. Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. The ship looked pretty beat up, so I thought maybe they just didn't no. save. They turned and ran. They didn't fight. They didn't defeat them. 
And then the Borg took over, and then the few remaining ships were on the run. And that's, uh, yep, that's what happened. Mm. I'm pretty sure I remember that right. Mm, whatever. Yeah. Anyways, I'm not a huge fan of everybody just conveniently dying right at the end, knowing that, or somehow knowing that everything will be all right because they're going to go back in time and, and fix it so that they don't have to die in this way. Yeah. So... I mean, technically in that timeline, they still died. Yep. And if we're to believe that there's multiple timelines out there, like Star Trek has beaten us over the head that there are, uh, then that means that in that timeline, they did indeed die, and we may now have a future where uh, the Klingons have take, will be able to take over the Federation because there's no Pike or no Kirk. And we and both know we that there, we both know they're the only two people that can do anything. Exactly. It's exactly. it's only the Enterprise. <laughs> All those other dozens of starships, they don't really matter, do they? I mean, like every movie of the Star Trek movie franchise for the, the Kirk ones, it always kind of started at the beginning. The Enterprise is the only ship that can make it. And you're like, uh, you're at Earth. <laughs> Are you really telling me the Enterprise is the only ship at Earth? Exactly. <laughs> but anyways... Especially in uh, Star Trek Eleven, when you see all those ships in dock in that great big space station they got up there above Earth. Well, they get all destroyed really quick by uh, by Nero. Remember, because Sulu's not able to take off with the rest well, yeah, of them. Yeah, I got that. But no, but what I'm saying at the beginning, they got that great space station that has just dozens and dozens of ships all over the place. So I'm just saying. I mean, obviously, at least that. TV series or that movie depicted a large um, presence of ships under normal circumstances. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, you're right, and that's the way it should be. So, yeah. there should have been no reason why the Enterprise B had to go save those uh, those people stuck in the Nexus. Exactly. When he was just taking it around the around the, the solar system. Exactly. Right, right, right. And Star Trek the motion picture too. I mean, that was kind of the same thing. Because they weren't even put together right, but they were the only ship that could go find Voyager. Or, I'm sorry, Voyager. Voyager, yes, exactly. <laughs> As we kind of came to find out. Anyway, back so to it, now and then. Right. So, what did you think when Pike called the ship Old Girl? Because that's not the same ship that he's been captaining these last 13 issues. I mean, because he's in the Enterprise A. The Enterprise... Should have been replaced. Yeah, well, we saw it. It's in the museum. Mm-hmm. So, how old is this ship, and why is he called her old girl? Seems a little presumptuous. Good point, Donovan. Good point. It doesn't seem to make sense to me, now that you mention it. But, I mean, if you think about it, the Enterprise A had a very short lifespan anyways, because exactly. she got commissioned in Star Trek Three, and in Star Trek Six, she was being decommissioned. So <laughs> she was being retired. So right, maybe right. maybe it's uh, maybe this is supposed to be happening around Star Trek six time frame, and they realize mm-hmm. that ships should only last ten years and then be put down. Because <laughs> after all, you got to have a new ship every once in a while to keep things fresh and interesting. Exactly, got to keep so, those uh, ILM boys in 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 a job. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, anyways, what else do you have on this one? More references to Pike taking out Chang's eye again, 
without actually coming out and saying it. Again, this isn't over, Pike. An eye for an eye. You will pay. And then Pike says, I know. God help me, I know. So it's like, okay. Yeah, this and Sulu... Oh, right, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, Sulu dying. I thought that was an interesting little uh, spin. Right, but... In a bloody mess. In a few pages, everybody will be dying. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what, what exactly do they put in those consoles to make them explode like that? Because I never quite understood that in Star Trek. That the ship's getting hit on the hull, and the only damage you really get on the bridge is from the consoles themselves. So maybe they should... It's, be... it's an electrical feedback loop circuit, of course. Oh, come on, Donovan. <laughs> I liked how in the new movie where it showed like the ship getting hit on the in the in a corridor and then that corridor just being blown out into space and you yeah. that seems a little more realistic than just a console exploding and taking out ha- all your crew. Right. Yep. yep. Maybe it, you should it, make it, it with less conductive material or something. <laughs> yeah, they had some money to spend in that new movie and I think they spent it well. Yeah, they did. Although I will say again, hand phasers should not be chrome plated. I'm sorry. Just right. so cheesy. Or with the little spinny thing. <laughs> I don't mind the little spinny thing. I know you don't. And I know why they I know why they have it. Cuz cuz they like gimmicky things. Yep. Gimmicky. No, they they Okay, we won't go on it again. <laughs> but I you will know, s- oh, go ahead. You know that every Star Trek movie since uh Star Trek Insurrection for whatever reason had to have these massively complex Machines that have all these moving parts that should not have any moving parts at all. I mean, because in Insurrection, that ship kind of transformed into the the scoop that was going to scoop up that nebula to keep everybody, uh, you know, kind of a fountain of youth type thing. Mm-hmm. And then in Star Trek Nemesis, the uh, Shizon ship could was kind of transforming or whatever to, you know, send out that theta wave or whatever that was going to turn everybody into dust. Oh, right. And then Nero's ship had all the little tentacles, which are supposedly uh, Borg-type uh, add-ons. Uh, right, that... but, yeah, but what were the points of all those, anyway? Which one? On Nero's ship? I mean, fun- yeah, functionally. What what was the deal with all those tentacle things? Well, in that the... That didn't com- move. Yeah. They didn't and, move, did they? Well, I think they were supposed to move. But I don't. I don't remember them moving in the show. In the comic book Nero, which was written by yeah, the same right. same guys, uh, it right. kind of explains why that mining ship got fitted with the Borg stuff. But I can't remember. Or was it Countdown that had that? I can't remember. One of the two actually explained why it was there. And when I read it, I remember it made sense. But I can't remember what that reason was now. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> what it was. But anyways, so I just kind of chalk up the. Phaser having un unneeded moving parts to people in movies <laughs> think that everything has to move and be flashy. Well, it makes it look more like it's like a real thing, or more like a toy. <laughs> they want people to know when you're stun versus phaser, and they don't want to keep on saying set phasers to stun. No, I understand that. You just want to do it so you can see. Oh, it's red. Ooh, it's going to kill now. Ooh, it's blue. Oh, it's okay. They're nice guys. They're not going to actually kill anybody with that gun. I get it. That doesn't mean I have to like it. 
<laughs> true, true. So, uh, anyways, back to your... Uh, were you still talking about Chang and we kind of derailed you a little bit? No, no I was done with talking about that. And then uh, I went, went on to talk about Sulu. Gotcha. Uh, also interesting that, again, we're exposed, and not very frequently, I must say, to number one's real name, Robbins, in but this we, issue. We still don't know what her first name is. True. But we do know it's Captain Robbins. Right. And she may or may not be the mother of Robin Leffler. Leffler. Robin Le- Oh, good memory. Who was played by Ashley Judd in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and became a major player in Star Trek The New Frontier. Yes. Ashley Judd? You're yeah. kidding me, really? No, I thought we talked about that when we did the uh, New Frontier podcast. I don't remember that. Cool. Well, see, I, I'd actually forgotten that, too. And then I was reading a, a random DC comic and uh, that came out while the series was still being made, way before New Frontier came out. And I was reading it, and Crusher was uh, Dr. Crusher was talking to somebody saying that she's mad that Wesley's in Starfleet and he sends messages to the Enterprise, but he keeps sending them to Robin Leffler instead of her. And I remember thinking, what? And then I looked at the time, and I'm like, no way, this came out way before New Frontier. And then I looked her up, and... Sure enough, she was an actual – in one episode, Ashley Judd played a character named Robin Leffler who was like an ensign on the Enterprise and was kind of a love interest to Wesley, that, that issue. Wow. I thought we talked about that, but maybe that was – I don't remember it. You, we might have. We could always go back and listen and, and see. We could. But we won't. What's done is done. Let's go to the future. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, anyways, uh, I have one comment to make about um, Kirk's conversation with Pike, where he basically talks Pike into staying on the bridge because a captain's place is on the bridge. Right. What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> Kirk never stays on the bridge, ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was always the first one on the away missions. He was always, you know, I mean, even in Generations, he couldn't stay on the bridge. He's like, oh, I got to go get sucked into the Nexus. I mean, he wasn't the captain (laughs) at the time, but (laughs) so he's just manipulating Pike into something that he would have never, ever done (laughs) if he was in charge. You know, Ashley Judd looks so stinking young as Robin Leffler. That's amazing. Uh, you looked her up on the internets. I used the inner tubes, yes. <laughs> I did. Hmm, interesting. So, Damn, she looks young. Wow, that's something. So, no comeback about Kirk staying on the bridge? Uh, no, no. Of course, come on. Yeah, but of course there was that reference uh, to Generations. Right. When I think Kirk said the same thing. To uh, the guy from Ferris yeah. Bueller's uh, Yeah, Captain off. Harriman. There you go. There you go. Yeah. No, he, he does say it there. and But, I mean, but again, that's just another example of he's manipulating somebody to do something that he never would have done. Himself. Yeah, he would have never stayed on the bridge if if there was a chance he could go out on the planet and meet a lovely lady. And have daring do. <laughs> and get his shirt ripped off and do a little tumble. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> As Tim Allen did so well. Yeah, that was pretty funny. So uh, the last comment I have on this, um, 
I almost said Leffler, when uh, Colt is falling through the well of tomorrow, you know, and she sees like a mirror Spock and a Enterprise D and some Enterprise E stuff. Why? Why is there that little medical frigate there on the bottom left-hand corner, right underneath Mirror Spock's face? I don't I mean, know. That is a medical frigate, right? Because I thought the medical it, frigate had that the big round one, ball. right? Yeah, the big ball at the end of it, like a snowball. Right. Yeah, normally. But I mean, all of these other little visions are from Star Trek comics or Star Trek episodes that we would have seen, except for that one. And I, I just thought, well, that's kind of random. I mean, why not put in a picture of Voyager or something? That is pretty random. But uh, isn't that the medical um, medical ship that Dr. Crusher commanded? The Pascal in, uh, in All Good Things? There you go. No. it That has the old-style warp engines, I think. The, the one in this picture. But, I mean, mm. the, the, one that, the one that Crusher commanded was the same style, but kind of an updated version of that. Cool. Well, that's it. So it's an older version. But, yeah, but, but again, just seems kind of random. Yeah. Well, what's wrong with Adam? I don't know. Maybe just so that people would wonder. Maybe that's some series in the future that we're going to be seeing. I don't know. Anyways, that was my last comment on it. Uh, I'm glad that she got back, and Pike gets to see a little bit of his future in the in the globe. Any other goodies for you? Let me check my notes. I thought it was pretty sad how uh, when Scotty ate it. He got stabbed in the back. He got sliced real good in the back with a batleth. Yeah, and his wife had to watch. That's the sad part. I mean, I was kind of expecting the wife to die. But then Scotty dies instead. Yeah. She was just a wee lass. Yeah, that was that Andorian girl. I couldn't remember what her name was, and I didn't bother to go look. Definitely, you know, I thought after the the, the little mini war with the uh, what Ch- Chakakun or whatever the heck it was, right? Um, I thought the Enterprise looked pretty screwed after that. But man, uh, just after Scotty gets killed, the next or one of the one of the next panels on the same page anyway, um, it shows the Enterprise really effed up. Yeah, it is bad. To which it is stated, she's dead, Chris. Well, they were talking about Savic, not yeah. the ship. Yeah. Well, I think I, I think they were had a little dual dual meaning going there. Yeah, but then the next frame shows uh, Pike kind of cradling Savic's dead body. Yeah. Which I which is kind of sad because it, it is sad. But only well, why was he doing it rather than uh, Spock? Because uh, that would show emotion, and Spock does not do that kind of thing. Unless he's on Talos Four and he's smiling at some little plants. <laughs> yes. Or he's the older Spock that very much acknowledges his feelings. What, after spending all the time with the Romulans? No. Oh, no, just living his life and learning that uh, it isn't all just logic. It is not all just logic. But you're getting that from the 2009 movie, right? Yeah, right. Right, but that's supposed to take place after he spent decades with the Romulans, you know, in that unification. Well, I agree. Endeavor. It's just that you had the example where he shows emotion 
oh, I, in oh, the original pilot, and I gotcha. just mentioned another example. No, I see what you're saying. But not that that's a direct line with this storyline. Right, no, no, no. I was just saying, like, in this point of time, that's the only time he's ever bothered to show emotion. Right. But I got you. I got what you're saying. So in this timeline, even if Spock somehow lives, I guess it'll be different than the prime timeline because he won't be marrying Savick. Exactly. Which is another thing. If he did any, have any early stirrings for her. Well, that would be emotional, and he does not have that. But you... You know he has emotions. Don't tell me he doesn't. Well, they all have emotions. Exactly. They just choose not to display exercise them. them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's kind as of we silly. know from Spock as a child. Hello, he was crying and stuff. Yeah. When did they change that? Because in the old show, they basically say he doesn't have emotions. Yep. But then in the movie timeline, they started saying, "Well, he has emotions. He just represses them." Yeah. But I remember an episode, and I don't know which one it is, of the original series where some omniscient being or something is making Spock laugh, and Kirk's or McCoy's there screaming, You're, You're killing, killing him! him. Damn Jim! <laughs> They're killing him! Right, because he Yeah, that was Apollo. Not... Wasn't that Apollo? Or oh, was it that episode where... Who mourns for Adonis or whatever? Yeah, who's... Yes, I got the title. <laughs> And that one also has ties in with the new frontier because that uh, that one dude is supposed to be his grandson or something like that from that episode. Yeah, something like that. Anyways, any more on this episode or this issue? No, no, I think that's about it. You're done. I'm done. Stick a All fork right. in me. But I, right. I will just say again one more last closing thing is um, at the very end where. Pike staring into the the uh, into the crystal ball um, that is quite poignant, quite poignant. Yep, and you have his you, you have a Jeffrey Hunter type uh, Pike staring into a ball, saying, "Man, not only am I messed up, but I look like a completely different guy. <laughs> I look nothing like me. I guess they. I guess I don't get to come back for my cameo." <laughs> Exactly. Who was that guy who played him? I mean, I mean, was what, he a the rubber suit? Was he a rubber suit or was it actually a dude? I don't know. I think it's a dude, but I think it, he's it, it, it a probably, different. It guy. probably was a dude under heavy makeup, but it doesn't matter. I mean, the guy didn't say anything. He just like he beeped. <laughs> he was like it, it was like uh, in CSI nowadays when you play a cadaver. I mean, that was like it. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, all those extras now that their big job is they get to play a dead person on CSI. Exactly, exactly. That's supposed to be a big deal. I've seen it on IMDb. I see, you know, that's like a, a credit. CSI. Cadaver. Body number one. Body number one. <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right. So that was the last of that story arc, and we start a new story arc uh, with issue number um, 16. Which continues into issue number 17, uh-huh. which continues into nothing, because it ends there. It ends there. The, yes, it will end there. The issue will end there, and the series. Exactly. And a fine series, too. I won't spoil it for you. Okay. All right, I'm so real quick. Because I, I go... While you were talking, I went ahead and looked at the artwork, and it is quite different. Yeah, it is. 
it's not bad. It's just we'll talk about it more next week. But it's it's just different. So real quick, can I uh, talk about what was going on in other media at this time? Please do. All right. So we're still in uh, early '98, uh, season six of Deep Space Nine, and season four of Voyagers going on on the television. Uh, we're still a few months from Insurrection, which comes came out in December of '98. And let's see, March, uh, the fifth New Frontier novel called Martyr came out by Peter David. Um, and aside from comic books, that's all that happened in March. And in April, um, New Frontier novel number six called Fire on High by Peter David came out, um, along with a um, next generation um, young adult type novel called Deceptions. Or actually, no, that's the Starfleet Academy one called Deceptions. And then a um, novelization of an Enterprise or Deep Space Nine episode called Far Beyond the Stars came out. And aside from comic books, those are the, the only things that were happening that week or those two months. But at this time, I was really excited about Insurrection that was about to come out. Yes, me too. And uh, little did I know that uh, Marvel was about to lose the comic book license of Star Trek. So at this point in time, happy guy. Two months from now when there's suddenly a uh, drought in Star Trek merchandise, not so happy. Mm. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week when it actually happens. Okay. All right. Sounds any, good, man. Any closing comments? Uh, no. No closing comments uh, except to say... Star Trek, live long and prosper. There you go. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review <laughs>